failure is one of the best things that can happen to you. It's okay to be sad in that moment. When I go through those moments, I need to realize that this can develop into something good, even though it feels so horrible right now. What's shaking, hurdlers? My name is Emily Abadi. You are listening to episode 99. Oh, that sounds so good. Of Hurdle, a wellness-focused podcast where I sit down with inspiring individuals to talk about everything from their big wins to how they've gotten through some of life's toughest moments. On the show, you can expect vulnerability, motivation, and candid discussions with everyone from top athletes to aspiring entrepreneurs on what it really takes to follow your passions. My mission is simple, to inspire you to be your best self, move with intention, and have some fun along the way. I am keeping it business as usual over here on the feed because I think we can all agree a little bit of normalcy is a good thing right now. Today, I am chatting with Georgia Ellenwood. She's a pro heptathlete, which if you don't know what that track and field event consists of, you will very soon. We sat down earlier this year at the Under Armour Human Performance Summit. And let me tell you, for a woman in her mid-20s, Georgia is wise beyond her years and stunning, both inside and out. In today's episode, we talk about everything from what life was like for her growing up in the Vancouver area, crossing the border to go to college at the University of Wisconsin, and the struggles she's had along the way in her athletic career thus far. We talk about what was a major hurdle moment for her, dropping out of a meet partway through and accepting that she wouldn't be going to world championships, and how she learned not to let one quote-unquote failure define her. Before we get to this week's episode, a shout out to my sponsor, Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens is something I look forward to every single day. For me, walking into the kitchen and mixing the greens powder with about 10 to 12 ounces of water just feels natural. I love it because it's got all the good stuff, right? It's got prebiotics, probiotics, adaptogens, superfoods, and the antioxidant equivalent of 12 servings of fruits and vegetables. Instead of opening some sort of a pill box and taking pill after pill after pill, I now shake up this one sweet sip and I know that I'm giving my body everything it needs to perform at top levels, plus an immunity boost. They are offering Hurdle listeners an awesome deal. It's 20 travel packs, a $79 value, absolutely free with your first purchase. Just head on over to athleticgreens.com slash hurdle. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash hurdle to get yours today. No code necessary. Next up, some love from my sponsor, LinkedIn. I have been working on Hurdle all on my own for over two years now. And the reality is that this girl, she needs some help. I have been looking to expand my team and that is where LinkedIn Jobs comes into the picture. Hiring the right people is one of the best ways to grow your business and it shouldn't take time away from your other priorities. With LinkedIn Jobs, it doesn't have to. When I created my assistant job posting, I was able to highlight skill keywords that make the opportunity visible to the right candidates like organizational skills, podcasting, writing, social media optimization, you name it. 
find the right person for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay whatever you want and get the first $50 off. Just visit linkedin.com slash hurdle. Again, that's linkedin.com slash hurdle to get $50 off your first job post. With that, you all know the drill at Emily Abadi and at Hurdle Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. If you have a hurdle moment of your own to share or you just want to say hi, reach out to me over email. It's emily at hurdle.us. I am here for you. And with that, let's get to hurdling. Today, I'm sitting down with Georgia Ellenwood. She is a heptathlete. It sounds so fancy when you say it that. It does, right? <laughs> <laughs> so first off, Georgia, talk to me about what a heptathlete is. Yeah, so a heptathlete is someone who competes in the heptathlon, and it's over the span of two days, four events on the first day, three on the second day. And the first day consists of the 100-meter hurdles, high jump, shot put 200, and then the second day is long jump javelin 800. And it's on a point system. So you get points for every single event. And then whoever has the most points at the end is the winner. So you don't necessarily have to win every single event. You can just be the most consistent and the most well-rounded. And um, that that's who's who wins in the end. So you're just trying to be very balanced. Balanced. Mm-hmm. You have to do everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of events. I'm so curious. So how did you get into being a heptathlete? I mean, we're going to bring it back and mm-hmm. talk about growing up, but was this something that you always wanted to do or did you fall into it? I don't think I knew of the heptathlon when I was young. I don't think a lot of kids do. Um, like when you start track, you do like baseball throw and like the 60 meter dash and 80 meter hurdles and stuff. So you don't technically know all the events in the heptathlon when you're that young. Um, But I think I was always a active person and someone who did so many different um, sports, so many different events in track and field. And so it kind of just fell into place. I was never like, oh, that's a heptathlon. I'm going to do that one day. It was more, I do the 400. Maybe I'll do a little bit of hurdling. Maybe I'll um, try and throw a shot put just because I was so active and I wanted to try everything. I got envious of someone who could do something that I wasn't going to get to try. Totally. And so I think that's just how it fell into place. And my coach one day was like, oh, I heard of this thing called the pentathlon. I think I was like 12 or 13. And she's like, we can go over to the States, which I don't often go to the U.S. and try this and see how it works out. And so a pentathlon is five events and it's an indoor competition. Um, and I did it. And I think for the facility, I like broke the record as like a 13 year old. I mean, it's not, it's not that impressive to be honest, because it was probably (laughs) at like some really small meet or something, but that's when I was kind of like, wait, this is kind of cool. I can do all the events and it means something like there's a point total at the end. So I can do all these events in the same setting and, and earn something for it. So that's when it started. All right. So then talk to me about growing up. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Langley, British Columbia. Um, So it's a suburb of Vancouver. So most people know Vancouver. I just say that I live in Vancouver. I think my older brother had signed up for it. Um, My parents were always trying to get him involved in something because he wasn't a sports guy. And I heard them in the other room saying, oh, we'll sign you up for track and field. Are you interested in that? And before he could answer, I was like, I'll sign up, sign me up. Like, please sign me up. I need to do this. I can't let my brother do it, not me. And so um, I think that's how it started. And I didn't 
you know, when you're a kid, like nothing's that serious. You just sign up and, and go out there and have fun and meet people. And so I think that's where my passion kind of developed. From the get-go, did you love running or was it kind of just bigger than that? I don't I don't think I, I thought that I could take track and field to where I am. I never, as a kid, I'm so clear-minded. I think I wanted to go to the Olympics when I was young. Didn't know what for, just thought you could sign up for the Olympics, I guess, and go. And so <laughs> when I when I was young, I, I just liked showing up, meeting my friends, having fun, something to let my energy out. And I think I started realizing that I was pretty good at it when I bought my first pair of spikes. So maybe when I was like 13 or 14 and I used sprint spikes for every single event, which is such a no-no for, for like where I am now. Uh, that's when I, I, I started getting good and started saying like, maybe I should quit my other sports. Maybe this is something that I should focus on and we'll see where it can take me. See where it can take you. Mm -hmm. So in high school, obviously you're like a big time athlete then. Well, in Canadian high school, like the, where I was in Vancouver, no one knew that I was good at track and field. I would just go to school and then 30 minutes after school, I'd go to practice and in high school, where I'm from, you don't have a high school track and field team. So I did track uh, club. And so I would go to school, have a few friends at my high school, not anything too crazy. Jocks were not like a big thing at my high school. And so I went with a few people and I would be excited to go to track practice to meet the, my real friends. Like it was kind of like an outlet for a lot of the people who are on the team from a bunch of different high schools. We all met at the track and we were like, this is where we feel comfortable. This is where we can show our passion for what we do. Um, and so I think that's where it started. And I've always had such a good experience on the track and the people that I work with um, that I wanted to continue doing it. And then, so did you know without a doubt that you wanted to continue athletics in college? I didn't know that that was an, an option for a while until maybe grade 11. So, um, junior year, is yeah. that what they say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> junior year. The translation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I, I remember talking to my parents about it and I'm so lucky to have parents that were involved. Um, they did some research on different schools and they're like, if you want to be good at this, if you want to take this and be serious about it, um, we're going to look in the U S and we're going to look at, at some big division one colleges. Cause I think your score is good enough to get in there. So that's when I was like, Whoa, maybe, maybe I could take this somewhere. I didn't know. And, um, and so we did, we filled out a couple questionnaires on a few different universities and Wisconsin being one of them. And the coach got back and he wanted to do a home visit. So this is a big D D one university. And this coach is coming to my house to visit me. And I'm like, it's exactly like it is in the movies. That's what I was thinking. I was like, how would, how do I behave? And I remember we, we like made him a pie, like an apple pie. And we all sat down and ate it. We connected right away. And I thought I was going to do my five visits. You get five recruiting visits in the U S and I was like, I'm going to do all of them. People tell you to do all of them as advice, just to know what the system is like, get familiar with it and really make this decision smartly. And so Wisconsin ended up being the school that I wanted to go to um, fit my personality and they're really focused on the heptathlon uh, which I had never seen before and they had a ton of school spirit so I was like let's give this a shot. I I feel like I need to digress and ask you about like your first experience with some of like the otter events in your sport. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember them? Um, you mean like some of the technical events? Oh totally. So I, I think the first events that I did were the 400 and high jump. Right. And 
when they got me introduced to throwing events, I think that was pretty pathetic for the first little bit. Why do you say pathetic? Oh, I was a skinny little girl, like holding a really heavy ball, trying to throw it as far as I can. And I was like, why am I not good at this? Like, I, I didn't like not being good at something. And to this day, I'm still, that's probably my weakest event. So I struggle going back and forth at the shot put, but I always think of Matilda. <laughs> what was her? Mrs. Trunchbull? Yeah. Miss Trunchbull? Was mm-hmm. she married? I don't remember. <laughs> I don't recall. I don't remember. But I remember she threw heavy things. Yep. Yep. So I, my goal is to be like her. <laughs> Personal victories. Yeah. But you remember it being super difficult at the time. Yeah. It, I realized that I needed to start maybe weight training or maybe gaining some strength. Um, and so I, even now I'm trying to fi- figure out which body works for this event because you have to be well-rounded. You have to be able to have endurance. You have to be powerful. You have to be able to throw things and jump over high bars. And so how can I keep my body at a weight or at um, a way that I can use it as a tool for this event? And so I think I'm constantly trying to figure that out. And so right now it's working, but you know, if I, if I lose a little bit of strength, then I might not be good at the shot put. But if I I gain too much strength, then I can't go over the bar in the high jump. Mm. So it's really interesting to keep that balance. And I think, I mean, that balance for so many, especially women, is so difficult as it is to Mm -hmm. like find a place where you feel really at peace with your body. So when your body is your instrument, Mm -hmm. I feel like the pressure sometimes can probably feel a little bit overwhelming. Yeah, it is. And Obviously, like women want to look a certain way. Like I'm not saying for all women, but I'm saying personally, I might not want to look this way if I didn't do the heptathlon. And I think right now I have to see it as an instrument for what I do. Um, And so that means this year I need to focus on what I do in the weight room. I need to become more powerful. And for my body, that might mean gaining 10 pounds. And I don't want to do that. (laughs) But but, um, I think if it's going to pay off for what I do and it's it's going to make me a more successful athlete. I have the rest of my life to look how I want to. Like right now, this is what is going to work for me and I have to accept it and realize that it's okay to look that way and you can still be very fit and very powerful and still be 10, 20 pounds heavier. Talk me through what it's like moving to the United States. Yeah, so uh, I think so many people think, oh, it's probably just like Canada. It's so similar, like blend in right away. And so first of all, Vancouver is very outdoorsy it's on the coast so you see the mountains you see the ocean and so I moved to the midwest right smack dab in the middle of the country and so I was like where are the mountains like I don't even see any hills what's going on (laughs) no hills yeah but what I was really happy with is that the people there were so nice and I met so many people that brought me to where I am right now I, I thought the people in the Midwest were really inviting. I have to say portion sizes and food and um, some of that kind of stuff. It was a shock. Um, even football games. I didn't know anything about American football. Um, I was like, where's the hockey? Yeah. <laughs> and so, but I totally immersed myself. And I think at first it maybe wasn't good because I just did everything everyone else did. I just wanted to get the American college experience and So it took me about a year or two to really figure myself out, um, especially athletically. All right. So you get to college and you are figuring out what lane you want to Mm -hmm. drive in. Yes. I feel like there's a track analogy I could have thrown in there, but I'm just going to (laughs) keep going with this. So then talk to me about what it's like being part of a team. Mm -hmm. 
it's interesting because track and field is technically an individual sport, but you are competing for a team at, at a university. And in the NCAA, you get points for placement you get at, like a, say, a Big Ten conference championships or whatever conference you're in. Um, so you're trying to do the best that you can for you, but also for your team's points. Um, and so I think one of the best things is that I had teammates for the first time, teammates that did the heptathlon. I had teammates in high school and in my club, but now there are people that focus on the exact same thing that I do. And so I can race them in the hurdles or I, we, we do hurdles and then we'll go over the high jump. So you're going through everything together. And then when you get to a competition, you warm up with those teammates and they're going through the same mental and physical struggles as you do. So it's a really good opportunity to, to connect with people and, and to, to make friends that do, that have the same focus as you pretty much. And so, um, yeah, I think college was such a good opportunity for that. And I'm so happy that I went to the U S for, for school because I don't think I would have got that opportunity otherwise. Okay. And so you start competing and you mm -hmm. probably start traveling around the U S as well, which mm -hmm. was a nice experience. It was. And I think I, I started seeing how competitive the NCAA was and I had always been good in high school or I had kind of been um, in my own world, I guess, in high school because not many people um, could get to that elite level. And so when I was in the NCAA, I was like, wow, there's a lot of people that are like me and way better. And so I was like, how do I elevate myself to that level? Um, and so I struggled a lot. And I think it was maybe my third year that I actually figured it out. And I started placing in the Big Ten. Um, I remember my my freshman year, everyone, it was my first Big Ten outdoor championship and I was not in the best shape of my life. <laughs> and so I remember my teammates coming up to me and being like, are you gonna continue the streak? Are you gonna, and I was like, what streak? Like, what, is, what are they talking about? And I had realized that someone had won the Big Ten championships for like 10 years in a row and they were putting that pressure on me to win. Oh my God. And I was kind of, and this was like two days before maybe the, um, the championships. And so I was in my head, I'm like, I have to win now. Like I have to. And I was like, people are going to be upset. And I think that's my biggest fear is disappointing other people. Like I disappoint myself a lot, but I can cope with that. And so I think it's hard when I, I know that I've disappointed someone else. And so I, I put too much pressure on myself, that competition, and I came fourth. And so nowhere, not even on the podium. And I think that's where I, why I was like, okay, I need to change something or I need to change something mentally. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to reflect back on what I've done and make these next three years worth it. So you make the shift, but something interesting that you said was like you figured out the unlock. Like mm -hmm. what was the unlock to change what had been happening? Yeah. So this was the first time that I actually had been through like some sort of conflict, I guess, um, internally and physically because I wasn't getting better for the first time in my life. Um, and I had always been on a natural progression. And so I think this was more of a, uh, I had to confront how I'm going to make these next few years in college useful and how I'm going to do something for the team. I'm on a full ride scholarship and I can't, I have to, to prove that to myself and that I deserve it. And so I think after that, I was like, I'm going to start eating healthier. I'm not going to be um, so defensive when people give me criticism. I'm going to uh, absorb all the advice that I can. And so that summer I went to the world champion or the world 
junior championships in Oregon and I placed seventh and um, fit again. And I was like on the right track. And I was like, oh, this is what it feels like. And I got a 200 point PB. And so I was like, okay, like why? Maybe I needed to go through that to figure something out. I had done that a few different times in my college career and in different ways, whether it be figuring out how to live in a, at a U.S. college or uh, in 2017 going through one of the worst injuries in my life and having to, to take another step back. Um, or last year when I, I had to pull out of one of the biggest championships, uh, heptathlons that I've ever had to. So it breaks your heart, but I think failure is really necessary to become successful. And so when I go through those moments, I need to realize that this can be this can develop into something good, even though it feels so horrible right now. You also mentioned a really bad injury. So what happened with that? First injury, which is probably the worst one, was in 2017. And I was also injured um, a bit of last year as well. But I think the first injury probably taught me the most just because I had always breezed through. Even if I wasn't getting better, I was always healthy. And so I think this was the first time where I had a successful year and then something that I can't control, something out of my control uh, limited me. And so I had to figure out how to deal with that um, uh, and how to work through it pretty much because I was just devastated at why can't I complete this or why can't I get better? Like what, why is my foot not working? Is that what was up? Yeah, I had a, um, this is scientific terms, but I had a extender digitorum brevis strain in my foot. Whew. Yeah. Okay. Don't even worry about it. It's just <laughs> every time I jumped pretty much like high jump or long jump, it would swell up and bruise and oh. it, it was just really painful. And so I got MRI done and they had told me that what, what it was. And, um, I pretty much still had to compete at the NCAA indoors and I had it all taped up. And there's so many instances where I've seen athletes compete through injury and they don't let anyone know. They're just in their own head trying to struggle through it. And it's really sad because you know what they're going through and you know that they're not at the best of their abilities, but they still have to try and perform. And I think it, it takes a toll more on you mentally because your confidence is completely shot. You're like, maybe I'm not that good. Or is this like the end of it? Or how do I get better after recovering from such a bad injury? But the thing is, is that you were that good because as college went on, you really started to thrive in your sport. Mm -hmm. I think to get to this level, it it definitely took a lot of mental and physical battles. Uh, I am this good because of those adversities. And I think maybe if I wasn't forced to be like, okay, you need to change, um, then I might not be at the level that I'm at. For someone like me and someone who's considers themselves to be strong-minded or someone who who is brought up to be tough. I think when you experience adversity, it seems like it's the worst thing in the world. But when you push through it and you learn from it, it makes you such a better athlete. I think especially this last year in 2018, when I had to pull out with uh, plantar fasciitis, I realized that here we go again. Here's another injury. What's it going to do to me this time? And in a, in a good way, because I remember writing down at that moment, like, this feels so horrible. I don't want to feel like this again. You're just shot down. You're at, like, your weakest moment. Um, but it's been a couple months now, and I'm back on the positive train. So it, 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 you just need to get through those moments because it will get better. It's just in that moment you feel like it's the worst thing that could ever happen to you. Of course. And it's been a little while now since you've graduated from college. Mm -hmm. When did you have to pull out of that competition? 
So it was very recent. It was last year. And it was my first year as a professional athlete with Under Armour. And my sights were set on the world championships. I'd been to an indoor world championships in 2016, but I had, hadn't been to an outdoor world championships. And I thought this would be a really good opportunity to gain experience going into 2020 um, as Olympic hopeful. And so uh, I was like, I have to make the, the world team. I want to go to Qatar. I want to compete on a world stage. And I didn't think anything was going to stop me from doing that. And I, I trained really hard, probably too hard, um, because I had my sights set on that. And an injury came up with plantar fasciitis. And I was like, not now, not now. It can't happen now. Train through it, whatever. Just go through it like you're tough. You could do this. And so that was not a good decision. And it just got worse. And I didn't treat my body well. Um, it taught me a big lesson. What, for those listeners that don't know exactly, is plantar fasciitis? You know, I think I, w I wish I knew more about it too. <laughs> I did learn a bit about it, but it's the, the tendon that runs down the bottom of your foot and it's completely inflamed. I think I had a partial tear in it as well. And so it's just a lot of pain in the heel and the start of your heel to the middle of your arch. And so for sprinting and coming off the hurdle is probably the most painful. A lot of people had told me that I just had a bone bruise on my heel and it did feel like that. It just felt like ripping every time that I would take a step. Ow. And so, yeah. And it got to the point where I couldn't really walk, but I was still willing to train, which is very stupid. I had such a focus on where I was going that year. And so I, I think I wasn't very smart with with knowing that it's not the end of the world if I don't do that. I need to make sure I'm healthy before anything. And so that's the approach that I'm taking this year. Taking a break from today's episode to talk up LinkedIn jobs. Now, I am the kind of girl boss that likes to believe that she can do everything, but the reality is, is that it's okay to ask for help. Whether you are looking to hire someone for an internship, part-time, or full-time position, LinkedIn Jobs makes the whole process super simple from start to finish. It's no wonder a person is hired every eight seconds with LinkedIn. Find the right person for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay what you want and get the first $50 off. Just visit linkedin.com slash hurdle. Again, that's linkedin.com slash hurdle to get $50 off your first job post. Let's get back to hurdling. Talk to me about the actual experience of pulling out of that meet. Mm -hmm. I had trained for a couple weeks after, um, my first heptathlon and I knew that I had a couple big competitions coming up and one of them being the Canadian championships and then I had already been named to the Pan Am team the Pan American team and that was another senior team that that was a really big opportunity and I had an opportunity to win that and so I was like I really want to go and I declared I had been confirmed on the team and so I went to the Canadian championships <clears throat> everyone was there like my family my coach is in Toronto and it wasn't run very well. Like, I don't think heptathletes are often taken good care of, in, in, especially in Canada. Um, and so 
What do you mean by that? It just means that the meet was quite disorganized. I'd been in the NCAA for so long and they do everything so professionally. And so they, they know when you're called out, they have your bib numbers, they have everything. Um, they have you in heats that are set up to accommodate how fast you are and people with similar times. And so at this competition, I was quite disappointed with the organization because we were just treated like, oh, they're just heptathletes. They'll just go out there and do their thing and we'll just put them on the line. And so there was no call room, anything. You just, we did our uh, 200 in the middle of like a memorial service. It was so unorganized. And so, and this is supposed to be my Canadian championships. And so I was already kind of like uh, totally put off guard. Um, I was upset about the meet and I was trying to perform well in those conditions and I was hurting at the same time. And so everything just put together. I was like, I don't want to be here. Like, I don't want to, the first day didn't go very well. And after the 200, I was limping off probably because we didn't get much warm up or the conditions weren't right to, to perform well. And I remember someone asking like, Oh, George, are you okay? Like you look like you're limping. I was just like, yeah, I'm fine. Just sore. Like I'm just sore. And so I was even lying to myself and I was very nervous uh, of whether or not I would be able to finish because I still had three more events the next day. And at that point, it wasn't even like I need to perform well. It was I need to finish this heptathlon. So my mind totally shifted. I went home. I tried to recover the best that I could in the time that I had. And then the next morning, I couldn't put weight on my foot. I couldn't do anything. But I still had my mindset that I was going to compete. And so I showed up the track, uh, completely not engaged in the competition. I didn't warm up at all because I knew if I jogged, I would just be confronted with the uh, the terror that my foot wasn't going to be okay. And I, I showed up the long jump, put my shoes on. I was like, I'm not even going to do a run through. I'm just going to step on the line and try and do this. Because there was for me, there was no alternative. I was only, I was gonna finish. Like I don't care how painful it was. And then I like rocked back to go to to take my first step, and I just like started crying. I went over to my coach and I was like, "This is the most painful thing I've ever experienced." And he he just said, and my mom was there too. And they're like, "You don't have to finish. Like, don't don't do this to yourself. There's bigger things in life than this moment right now." And I just, I was so overwhelmed by the thought of not being able to finish heptathlon. I had never done that in my life. And I had prided myself from doing that. Like I, I've always finished a competition and in my head, I'm like, I can't pull out. I can't not finish. I'm quitting like that. I've never quit in my life. I've always finished something. And so, um, I couldn't even stay to watch the rest of the competition. I was just like, get me out of here. Like I need to figure out what's wrong. And my, my parents just kept saying, like, this isn't it. Like, this isn't something you need to be upset about right now. You're not going to go to the world. Like, you just have to accept that. And next year is a bigger year. Would you rather make your run for Tokyo or would you rather suffer right now? And so I decided that I was just going to put all my focus into making sure that what was wrong um, was fixed in the next few months. And I think I took the necessary steps because I was so focused on that. I, all the focus that I had in that competition was now shifted to getting what was wrong right. I think it, it's paid off and my my perspective has changed again because of it. How did you uh, how did you rehab that? Um, so I went to a bunch of different doctors. I had done a bit of shockwave therapy on it, which was really, really painful. And um, I figured out that it might not be smart to do that if I had a tear. I looked, I went to um, 
someone who did PRP injections and I uh, talked to other athletes who had been through similar situations and they said that this was a good option. And in my head, I was like, I will try anything that anyone says. I don't, it's at its worst point. It can't get worse. And so I was like, I'll just, I'll just try it. And so we, we met with a couple doctors and this was a really good doctor. And, um, and I was like, let's just go through with it. I don't care how much it costs. I don't care anything. I just want to do this. I want to get it better. Um, so it, it took a couple, I'm still recovering. Like I, I think PRP takes about six months to fully, uh, have its full effect. And so every day it's seeming to get better. Um, so it's just a long process and you have to trust it. Yeah. So. Yeah. I had Colleen Quigley on the pod mm. and she's had a bunch of different bouts of PRP in different areas. And she also, you know, had to swallow a tough pill last year and, yeah. and take a seat out at the world championships. It's definitely not a magic pill. There's still mm -hmm. a lot of research that needs to be done on the procedure and mm -hmm. what it does for the body. And I am by no means an expert. But what I do know is that it's definitely becoming something that you're hearing about a lot more right now. Yeah, definitely. And that's the thing I don't my experience was really good. Someone else's might not be that good, but I, I think I had the right team behind me when I did it. And I had the right mindset in terms of recovery to get back and stronger than I was. And, and so all those combined worked really well for me. So it might not work for somebody else, but in my case it did. Because what's happening during this procedure is they're just spinning your own blood and putting it back into your body. It's and a lot really of that, weird. It's, it's bizarre. And I think that a lot of people are like, well, what is that? Is that like foreign stuff that's mm -hmm. going into your body? Mm -hmm. Is this, I mean, I've written articles with people wondering if it's, if it's getting a leg up or if it's cheating. And the answer to that is absolutely not. Yeah. But I mean, there's still research to be done and it's still like a relatively new technology that people are messing with. Yeah, it is. And I think the other option was cortisone and I had gotten the cortisone shot and tendonitis in my wrist many times and it's pretty much just masking the pain and so I could manage it for a couple months and then it would come back and it would break down the cartilage and be a bit worse and so I that was an option but I, that would only be for quick recovery like if I needed to do a competition in a month I would get a cortisone shot um, but it's not long-term healing and that's exactly what I want so if I had months to spend on recovery, PRP would be a good option. Right. And, and so that's why it was the best option for me. And Makes sense. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Okay. So then tell me what does life and training look like for you now? Yeah. So I, I still live in Madison, Wisconsin for the majority of the year. Um, this will probably be my last year there, but I still train with the same coach and a couple other professional athletes there. Um, and I live by myself, but we, every day is such a routine and I'm such not, I'm, I'm not a routine type person. And so it's hard for me to do that, um, to eat breakfast at this time, go to training at this time, recover at this time, lift at this time, physio at this time. And so I, I need a break every now and then, whether that's just training somewhere else or, um, changing up my, my meal prep or anything like that. And but for athletics, I think routine is really important. Um, it might sound boring to the average person, but it, athletics is such a lifestyle. So you kind of have to get in a routine to make sure that what you're doing is is paying off. And I think I read something that it takes six weeks for any strength exercise to actually have an effect. So you can't do something really well one day and be like, oh, I'm a different athlete. Like you have to stay consistent with your training to for it to actually work. Um, and so I, I get up 
at like 7.38 and make breakfast and then go to training. Um, we lift at 10. Um, and then I have a track session after. So my training can sometimes go from like 10 till 5. And I, it, it's a long day and I don't think I have a lot of time for anything else. Um, and it's exhausting. So you'll come home, make dinner, do something that you actually enjoy um, that's off the track. Um, and then go to sleep. So, and that's it. Yeah. It's not too, and I, I'm, I would consider myself to be an adventurous or a kind of spontaneous person. So I, I know if I discipline myself enough to have a routine every day and, and to know that it works for my sport, then I can reward myself after with something, uh, adventurous, something spontaneous, something that isn't so regimented. Like what? Mm, traveling, yeah. but not traveling for sport, traveling for leisure yeah um and uh or just going into the mountains for a little while or yeah just hanging out with friends that aren't athletes sometimes it's nice <laughs> what to a get luxury. it <laughs> what a luxury we don't, then we don't talk track you know it's like we talk just regular person stuff or we we just be goofy you know yeah. and sometimes you need that outlet yeah i mean you are 24 mm -hmm. So you're pretty young mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, you need an outlet because mm -hmm. you're like, what's the word? I'm in awe of how diligent you are mm -hmm. with your sport, which is obviously kind of goes hand in hand with making it your full time thing. Yeah. But it's so important that you realize how important it is mm -hmm. to have some time to blow off steam and to not be training and that you can do both. What would you say that some of your hobbies are right mm -hmm. now? I'm a creative artsy person, so I like painting and drawing. I would do that to kind of like a therapy if I'm stressed or if I need something outside of track or just outdoor stuff. I'm I'm outgoing so anything like in the mountains or even last week I was surfing in Australia so something something like that just Casual. something yeah <laughs> cross training like climbing and stuff like that so I, I I'm always open to try new things and I like meeting other athletes so they can introduce me to that so will there be a time where it gets to be just like very strict training going into the Olympics sadly I think there has to be just because I think I have to use all of my time to prepare for it and I can still have hobbies when I, but nothing that really distracts from it. And I, I think I need to be zoned in and I can do that for however many months. And I, I don't think I've ever really dedicated myself to the point where like I'm completely zoned in and I make major lifestyle changes. And so this year I'm going to experiment with that and see, because I, I just don't want any excuse. Like if I don't make the Olympic team, I don't want to be like, maybe it was because of this or maybe because I did go on that trip or maybe I didn't change my diet enough. And so I think I'm just going to completely go full throttle and see, see if, if that's what it takes. Hey, I mean, I can respect that. <laughs> I think you got to go full throttle, yeah. man. Um, and you said try to take away those distractions. Uh, you have a very large social media following. <laughs> Talk to me about how it's been kind of handling that and managing that and not allowing that to distract you. Yeah, I think a lot of people, sometimes uh, they get rid of their social media because it's, it's distracting or because they're using too much of their time online and stuff like that. And I'd like to say that I haven't had a problem where it really interferes with my training or my personal life because there's always going to be people that you know comment hate stuff or or people who aren't liking what you're doing or people who love to 
um, be like Instagram coaches, as they say. So, and so, um, so many times I want to want to like say something, but you think about it for maybe a minute or two and then you get over it. Like it's really not that big of a deal. And so I think what's important to me is that if I'm showing a little bit of who I am online, then I can just be who I am offline too. And so I don't have that weighing on me a lot. So I think about that a lot. I mean, Mm -hmm. how much of the time are you putting into people that you don't know versus Mm -hmm. people that you do know and making sure that you're bringing your positive energy to both places? I am definitely the kind of person that I don't love confrontation. I really try to treat everyone with kindness, whether I know you or not. But sometimes it definitely gets to you when someone has an opinion that's like your stance on walking away from a competition where you're injured and there's nothing you could do about it. I can't always change someone's opinion about what I'm doing or what's going on, but I have to be willing to let that go and understand that that comes with the territory of being someone who shares publicly, who's open and who's trying to do good. Like you said, I think I have to accept that if I'm going to share something with other people, then I have to be willing to also accept what they have to say about it. And so if I'm going to share a running video and I know people have a lot to say about my running technique, um, I just have to let them say what they want to say because I'm on my own track. Like I'm not going to go online and be like, oh, maybe I should do this because this person commented this. Like I've never thought that. And so um, I trust the people that are there physically in my life and and who are there like really helping me and so I don't let that things like that get to me but there are moments where I I I don't post online um things that I like to keep like maybe friendships or relationships um that I keep offline and people wonder why I keep it offline because today so much is shown online but the only way that I explain it to them is that like, this is for me, like this isn't for everyone else. Like this is something that I like to keep private because it's like one thing that I don't have to share with everyone. And so it's almost more important that you're not shown on my social media because that's only for me and you. A lot of your followers will come to your page and they will see a young woman who is excelling and gearing up for a big year Mm -hmm. in Tokyo. When you look in the mirror, what is it that you see looking back at you? Mm -hmm. I've matured as an athlete to the level where I won't say something unless I really believe that I can do it. And so the fact that I'm saying that I can be on an Olympic team is like really, really big for me because I would always hide that before. If I don't have 100% confidence in in what I'm capable of, then I won't say it to anyone. And I think that's different than a lot of people. I think people say speak it into existence, but I'm totally not uh, like that. I, I like to believe wholeheartedly something for myself and then I can tell somebody else because um, I I think I need to see the reality in it and I need to be real with everyone else as I am with myself and when I see myself now I I just believe what I'm capable of and if if I think that I'm capable of making the 2020 team then then um, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be speaking of it if I don't think that I'm capable of it I dig it (laughs) all right we're winding down here Mm -hmm. my last question for you you have an opportunity reflecting on when you had to pull out of that heptathlon you have an opportunity right now to give yourself a piece of advice going through that hurdle moment looking back on it Mm -hmm. what would you tell yourself failure is one of the best things that could happen to you. It's okay to be sad in that moment, but just to know that there's a light and, and to know that if you don't fail, you won't succeed. 
And I, I didn't think failure was in the equation for success, but now I know that it fully is. And uh, I see that through other athletes all the time. And so I just need to trust that in myself and, and to know what to do when I'm confronted with that again. Thank you so much mm, for sitting down thank with you. me. Please take a quick moment and leave a review of the podcast by clicking the link with the description to this episode. We all face multiple hurdles in life. I want to hear about yours. Reach out to me at emily at hurdle.us. Connect with the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at hurdle podcast. Georgia, tell me where can they find you? How do they keep up with you? Give me the details. Yeah. So I'm on Instagram mostly. I have Twitter too, but I don't, I don't engage with my followers as much. Yeah. So my Instagram handle is George underscore A H H H three H's. A H H H George. Ah, George. Ah, so calming. (laughs) I am at Emily, a body, another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time.